Welcome to Talking Home Care, a podcast of the Home Care Alliance of Massachusetts. I'm your host, Pat Kelleher, and today we're going to talk about what has become a valuable and vital part of the solution to the challenges that accompany the aging of our population, and that topic is private home care services. By private home care services, I'm referencing care that is generally, although not always, non-medical in nature, and it includes a broad range of assistive services that allow a person to age in place in their home. My guest today to discuss all things private home care is Ryan McGenniff, owner of Minute Woman Home Care in Lexington, Massachusetts. Welcome, Ryan. Oh, thanks for having me. Let's start and talk a little bit about your company and how and why you started it. I often find uh, owners in the private home care space have a personal story. So why don't you tell us ours, yours? Yeah, well, I am no different uh, than many others with having a personal story. Um, I grew up in the area. I grew up in Concord. Uh, I moved out to Colorado after schooling. Uh, my parents moved down to Florida, like many uh, retirees do. And uh, unfortunately, my mom developed cancer uh, after a few years of being down there, and it was terminal. And I had to uh, quit my job, back up my things, and uh, and help my dad and my mom out um, because it wasn't going to be uh, a good situation, obviously. Um, when I got down there, I was a family caregiver for not very long, about four or five months um, unfortunately, the cancer progressed. My mom passed away. But while having that experience, my aunt was there to, to provide support in any way she could. Um, and she had originally started Minute Women Home Care in 1969. And for the last 10 years, had really been hands off with it. It had been kind of running on its own and uh, had been actively looking for somebody to uh, purchase the company. And after seeing what I had seen and experienced with uh, my mom, um, I thought that it would be a great idea to, to test the waters. I uh, ran the company for a year before deciding to purchase it. And uh, now uh, for the people that are listening, a big six foot six burly guy happens to own a company named Minute Women Home Care. Um, so <laughs> the irony is not lost on me whatsoever. And uh, and that's kind of how I, I came about it. It, it's, it wasn't planned. It wasn't expected. I never thought I'd be back in my uh, neighboring towns and uh, hanging out. But uh, you know, it's weird how how life has a uh, a funny path for people. Indeed. Yeah. Before we unpack a little bit about what the typical services are under the umbrella of a private home care company, um, well, could you talk a little bit about some of the misconceptions? I think people, you know, probably your own family included, um, are surprised to find that really good government programs like Medicare um, that we all will be on when we turn 65 are not really able to accommodate the needs of people in for home care. And I think that comes as a shock to a lot of families. Would you agree? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, the, the reason why I started um, my podcast and things like that was because of the amount of people that would call us up and really have no idea, um, had never really thought about uh, what happens when their parent uh, starts to decline. And, you know, there's, there's, it's, it's from really the soups to nuts from the hospital to hospice. They, they don't understand what pays for what and who provides certain care, who, what kind of care they provide and what they don't provide. And I was the same way when this all happened with my mom. I'm not, I'm not judging anybody because I didn't have a clue. I don't know, what, what does private home care do? Why doesn't hospice take care of the 24 hour care versus having to hire another company? So um, it, it, it seems like, you know, people don't, 
uh, in my opinion, people don't really want to have that conversation. Uh, people are more than happy to say, you know, death and taxes in kind of a joking way or at the cocktail party. But when it comes down to it, it's an uncomfortable conversation to have to talk about a loved one's, you know, ultimate demise or your own ultimate demise. And, um, you know, until uh, a tragedy occurs or an emergency occurs, people don't really understand what happens when you go to a hospital, then go to a rehab facility, the difference between a VNA and a uh, private agency. So there's a lot of education that comes with getting that initial phone call where people are asking questions like, well, why doesn't insurance cover this? So, so with that sort of understanding, tell us a little bit who a typical client might be for Minute Woman Home Care or another private home care company like yours. What are the typical services that people are purchasing um, and for what types of needs? Yeah, it, it really ranges, um, you know, but I would say that the common denominators with most of our cases um, deal with uh, fall prevention or deal with some type of dementia. Um, usually when people are starting to call us up, um, there's, there, there's kind of two scenarios. One is they're looking for relatively low hours or looking to kind of ease into private home care with, uh, you know, maybe transportation or just somebody comes over and, and, and cooks a, a good meal for somebody, um, that will last a few days just to, to kind of ease into it. Or they're calling us up because they've been the family caregiver for a long time. And it's gotten to a point where they no longer can spread themselves so thin between their own obligations, their family, their children work. Um, and then they need our help because mom or dad has fallen too many times. They've broken something or they're a safety hazard to themselves and they need somebody to be there while they're sleeping or while they're at work or whatever that might be. Um, so, I mean, I think when people are are looking at home care, um, there are a, a, a long list of things that we could have a long conversation about where uh, people use our services. But I would say, um, you know, it kind of falls under a fall prevention or dementia usually are reasons why people pick up the phone and start giving us a ring because they realize um, that their parent, you know, needs help and they need they need assistance of some kind. I want you want to pick up a little bit on those longtime family caregivers and everyone um, has been one, will be one, know someone who is one. And I do think that it's true. I find in my own experience that longtime family caregivers, um, a lot of them daughters, but not always, um, are often um, sensitive to bringing someone into their home. Either they feel, as you say, they can do it all or mom or dad won't let that happen, won't be comfortable with someone or the, um, the, the family caregiver is concerned about leaving someone alone with mom um, while they're not there. How do you um, help your clients sort of get over that idea of, you know, mom won't be comfortable with someone else, or I'm not comfortable with someone being in the home with mom if I'm not there? Yeah, I mean, that's a completely understandable uh, situation, right? It's the fear of the unknown. You don't know what's going on. Um, additionally, on the this, the uh, the older person, the senior, they're 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 seeing their independence slip away, which is, um, ang you know, frustrating. It's uh, it's disappointing. There's depression that can come with that. And then when you look at the adult child, they're concerned that um, the person that's coming into the home is a stranger. They don't know exactly um, what needs to be done. There's going to be a learning curve with this because a new person is uh, coming in the home and 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 is new to the scenario. To offset that, to kind of try to uh, alleviate those concerns, um, 
you know, that's when sometimes maybe somebody starts with, with lower hours, kind of like I mentioned, whether it's transportation or just somebody coming in once or twice a week for a few hours to kind of test the waters. That's a, that's a good way to start with that and to introduce that to um, a senior. I find that um, generally when those low hour situations occur, it's because the family members are all on board with getting private home care. It's the senior that kind of has to be convinced that this will be worthwhile and that fear has to be alleviated. Um, but on the adult child side, um, we kind of alleviate that because we allow them to be able to interview as many caregivers as they like for as long as they like. Um, we'll give them an idea of who, what their, their background is, what their specialties are in, what their training's been in. Um, and then I think when you have that, um, that, that allowing of the interviewing of a caregiver, that also helps them feel a little bit more comfortable who's coming in. And then also on top of that, I'm out there and, or a nurse is out there, a supervisor's out there every single day for the first, uh, at least seven days. And then, you know, it tapers down to maybe every other day after the next seven days. Um, but they're going to have, um, somebody from the, 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 the company out there checking in and making sure that something's going okay. And if something's not going okay, we want to address those issues. Um, so it's really making sure that somebody's hand on, hands on, there's communication, they get to meet the caregivers before they're placed into a home. And we do everything we can to alleviate, alleviate those concerns. But at the end of the day, um, you know, just like me being the owner of a company, um, you know, you don't know until you hire somebody and they're in the office and working for you eight hours a day. Uh, until somebody's in the home and dealing with the day-to-day -day tasks, we like to say we could send Mary Poppins out there that's done an outstanding job on every other case that um, that person's been on. But if the, 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 the personality isn't a match, well, you know, then we, there needs to be a change there. So um, we do everything we can to, to get the families ready for it. But at some point in time, you kind of have to take the leap of faith as well, have somebody come in the home and see how it works out. And if it doesn't make those adjustments or changes um, as any issues arise. I think that's terrific. Um, a, a point about allowing the families to interview the caregivers, not saying, okay, we've assigned someone to your case and it's take it or leave it. And I, and I might come back to that. I've also heard though from family caregivers, again, primarily daughters, that once they get over the initial fear and they're comfortable with the person that they've interviewed and, 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 and started working with, that they feel so relieved that they're able to be a daughter again instead of a caregiver. And sometimes that relationship of being a caregiver can be so straining that the relationship of the parent-child gets strained. So I think people have so many times said to me, once I let go and let someone came in, I felt that I restored my relationship with my parent um, that I had had before. And I think we cannot stress enough how many times people have said that to me. I now can be um, the, the daughter again, that I wasn't able to be when I was the caregiver. Yeah, it's it's a very difficult time. It's a very difficult um, change, and, and it's a, a, a real switch when somebody gets older and they're, they're, they're not realizing that they can't do the same things that they could do to be become the parent in the relationship when you were always used to being the child in that relationship, regardless of your age. And I think what we found is that when, you know, it's funny because we'll, we'll, I'm sure you've heard this before, maybe not, but we've found that 
that some of the seniors we care for will treat the caregivers with more respect than they treat their their children with because just by having that family dynamic, sometimes it's a little bit easier to be lippy with a, a, a family member than it is to be with a complete stranger. And we'll have parents, excuse me, uh, adult children, just what you were saying, going like, thank, thank you. You know, somebody's coming in there and it's able to get through to my mom when, when I was trying to explain to her that she can no longer do X, Y, and Z you know, I would get, I'd get a stern talking to rather than your caregiver comes in and can redirect and can uh, make this situation a little bit easier. And they listen to the caregiver that way. And that takes the burden off my shoulder of being the parent in this relationship now. And I could go back to just spending time with my mom or my dad or whoever it might be. So it's, it's definitely a, a, a lot of stress is relieved that way. And additionally, the other stress that comes from where we've been, we've been uh, told many times is that every time you, your phone dings or you get the phone call from an unlisted number, you're just waiting for that to be the call from an emergency dispatch or from a neighbor or whoever it might be saying, you know, something bad's happened. You know, you need to be over here right now at 2 a.m. And they feel like with a caregiver in the home for the hours that they can't be there, they can get a good night's sleep or they can relax and spend time with their family without, you know, walking on eggshells that the phone's going to ring and they have to dart outside to get in the car to take care of mom or dad. So true. So true. It feels to me another uh, misconception there may be about um, private home care is the cost. You know, some people think, well, private home care is only for the very wealthy. It's not very middle-class affordable. Um, but I think that that is a misconception, especially for someone who's given up work to be a caregiver. There's such a balancing act there. Um, how do you dispel that myth that, you know, I just can't afford that service? Well, I mean, you know, I, when I speak with family members, I, I explain to them that unfortunately when you're in the scenario, nothing's, nothing's cheap, right? So if you go to a hospital, there's co-pays. Right. If you go to a skilled nursing facility or an assisted living facility, there's out-of-pocket costs and the same with private home care. Um, but that doesn't mean you necessarily need to have 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, most people don't have that. And even if, if at some point in time, you know, let's say somebody's discharging from the hospital, they're weak, they're disoriented, they're, they're, they're exhausted, they're a fall risk. You know, I find that uh, when we speak with families, it's like, listen, you can use 24 hours a day for just three or four days to make sure we know what the baseline is with your, your parent. And then if you don't need us for 24 hours a day, you don't have to use us that long. And you can use us for as much as you need us and as little as you need us. So, you know, I think people find that when there's, there's, there's a trade-off, right? So there is a cost to private home care. It is an out-of-pocket cost, but it doesn't mean that you have to use us for every hour of the day. You can use us to fill in the hours in which you need some time off. And that might be going to work. That might be um, being able to earn an income. And so you might have a net net positive out of it. Um, so, you know, there is a cost to that, but it doesn't mean that you need to be the CEO of Apple to be able to afford this. We have plenty of people that are able to afford this because they've, they've the generation that we're dealing with um, has saved a good fair amount of money. They have, whether it's pensions or whether they have 401ks or whatever savings they have, they can live off of that. 
Um, but it is unfortunate that, you know, it does cost money. It is out of pocket. So not everybody can afford it. But I would say there are plenty of people that we've cared for over the years that would not be considered super wealthy, that they'd be considered, you know, middle class America that needed to use some savings of their parents to make sure that they got back on their feet for a few weeks or a few months. And then that quality of life is restored. and They don't need us anymore. Um, not everybody needs private home care indefinitely. And, and often we find that um, when um, the elder relative, parent, grandparent um, starts to become um, less and less physically or mentally able to care for themselves, folks start to think about assisted living um, and often will disrupt someone, move them into assisted living only to find that um, a lot of assistive services aren't available under the contract that they have. I think assisted living is a great opportunity for some people, but I do think uh, people often don't do their homework and find out once they get to assisted living, they're needing to supplement with private home care services. Um, and often people will say, geez, maybe I should have just kept mom where she was and brought in home care because now I'm bringing it into the assisted living anyway. So we really need, again, it goes back to that education, doing your homework, um, you know, looking at your budget, what you can afford, what's best for your family. Um, and making decisions that are really carefully thought Yeah, absolutely. Through. I mean, I totally agree um, with that. Um, I, I definitely think there's a time and place for assisted livings. I mean, assisted livings can provide a community, and I can't provide that. I can't provide the activities and the, 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 the services that they provide, and assisted livings can't provide the services I can. Um, but we've certainly had more than one angry uh, family, you know, not necessarily at us, but just angry about the situation where – they did just that. They sold the house, moved mom into a, an assisted living. Mom had a stroke. They made the they made the ultimate promise, right, that we'll never put you into a nursing home. And then they're paying the assisted living, and they're paying us, and they're burning like fifteen grand a month or twenty grand a month um, when it would have been cost effective to keep their 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 parent in the home or whatever the scenario might have been. So, you know, there are certainly some people that um, unfortunately draw the short stick when it comes to that, where they think that maybe going to an assisted living will uh, provide the care that they need, but it ends up being a different situation sometimes a few months in. Right. Buyer, beware and do your homework. Um, it seems to me, Ryan, that, you know, the the private home care marketplace has become increasingly competitive in our state no and, and, no and in other states as well. <laughs> <laughs> it is. There's lots of folks entering this space. Um, lots of folks uh, who are saying that they have the disruptor approach or they know aging and they have a better home care product somehow. So I ask you, are there really that many differentiators in the marketplace? And the second question to that is, how can a client or a client's family distinguish or identify a quality yeah, provider? Well, the, the best way to distinguish a quality provider, if uh, they're named Minute Women Home Care. But in all seriousness, with with that being said, there are a ton of different um, agencies out there. And I, I totally understand that. I, I actually, when I speak with RCDs or social workers, I, I empathize with them because I couldn't imagine, you know, getting the 50 phone calls they get a week with different agencies that would love a 15 minute meeting with them. Um, there are a lot of agencies out there in Massachusetts. There's very little regulation when it comes to that. All you really need is to have an internet connection, a phone line, and a decent looking website and brochure, and you're in business. Um, I think what you know there are, there are a lot of things that that can make you uh, differentiate yourself with 
um, with with other agencies. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, the biggest thing is going to be like customer service and quality of care and oversight. Um, you know, one of the things that certainly made my hair go away sooner than I'd like is, you know, I want to do the right things. My office staff want to do the right things. But if we're being completely honest with each other, you know, caregivers and employees in general sometimes have bad days. And um, that that hurts my reputation and that hurts my um, my ability to do a good job. Um, so when those it's it's important that when those mistakes occur, when those service failures occur, what does the office and the owner and the the office staff do to correct that? How quickly in a timely manner? I think that's important to think about because when you're dealing with if you have a 24 hour day, seven day a week live uh, a caregiver, you're dealing with upwards to eight or nine different caregivers doing you know a uh, 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 close to a dozen shifts, right? So, or, or over a dozen shifts. So mm-hmm. that that provides plenty of times where cars can break down, family emergencies can happen. Um, so what happens when there's a call out at nine o'clock at night? Um, or is the private agency going to call you up and say, oh, whoops, sorry, we're not going to be able to make it in? Or are they going to get that case covered no matter what? And that's kind of, those are the types of questions that I would ask an agency on like, what happens when things go wrong? Because, you know, everybody's happy when the the Red Sox are winning a hundred plus games this season. What happens when they're only winning 60 and, and when things go bad is what you're going to find out when um, those tough, difficult situations occur. If you have a good company, that's going to come through for you or, or not. Um, One of the reasons people come to agencies as a whole is because we have uh, the ability to provide um, extra care when things um, don't go as planned. While if you go with a private caregiver off of Craigslist or through a word of mouth network, if they don't show up, you don't have a backup. So when people are using us and spending that kind of money, you need to be able to come through. And I think asking those questions about what happens in these specific situations, what's the protocol, is a really good way to, to start. Um, finding out, you know, if this is a company that, that you want to want to work with. Um, you need to spend time. You need to speak with the owner. You need to speak with the, the, uh, the, the people that are in charge and, and ask those questions and not be afraid to spend an hour with them because, you know, or more, just because you need to know who's going to be, you know, caring for your loved one. You mentioned that you allow your um, clients to interview multiple caregivers to, to find the best match. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, your own um, process of identifying and hiring caregivers? Again, you mentioned that this industry is not highly regulated or not really regulated at all in Massachusetts. So we really are relying on the private home care agencies to do the screening and making sure that the people that are going into these homes um, have been vetted, have been had background checks, understand the challenges of the aging population. How do you um, identify training well, I mean, your uh, workers? <clears throat> Excuse me, a perfect little segue there, Pat, because one of the things that happened when I took over Minute Women was um, it, it, we were, we were still had, we still had like archaic kind of policies. Um, again, my aunt hadn't been really uh, managing the business in a while. It was still running, it was still doing a good job, but it needed a, a facelift. And one of the things we found out about was the Home Care Alliance's uh, accreditation and going through that process. And that allowed us to, to determine, you know, look at those, those steps. Um, on becoming accredited by your your agency and by you, um, and I thought that was a great way to prove that we're we're 
were providing good care. And what, and what I mean by that is that, you know, your, your step said, Hey, you know, here's an example um, that kind of drives me a little bonkers is that, you know, New England is a, is a, a, a group of States that are relatively small. You can drive from Maine to New York in what, maybe five or six hours. Um, so a lot of agencies will, will do a background check. That's a mass quarry. And that's great and all, but there's, we see it every day on route three and 93 that people live in New Hampshire and they drive down and work in Massachusetts. Well, in theory, they they could be an ax murderer up in New Hampshire and they come to Massachusetts and work. You do a background check through Mass Quarry. You'd never know that. So, so I think, you know, your, your um, accreditation was like, you have to do a national background check and that makes complete and utter sense. Um, So what we did was we took your accreditation standards, we applied them to our business. And so when we find caregivers, they go through a background check. That's not just state, but it's completely national. Um, they go through a driver's history check so that if they're going to be doing transportation, we know whether or not they're a speed demon or, or not. Um, that doesn't mean they can't get a job. It just means that if they have too many tickets or too many infractions, that they won't be um, providing transportation. Um, and then they go through a um, hour orient, uh, excuse me, an hour interview. We ask them various different questions. Well, you know, what's a scenario where you've done a good job? What's a scenario where you've made a mistake and what you learn from it? Questions like that. And then if they pass that, then we we put them through a, a three and a half four hour orientation. Um, where they they get an idea of how what our processes are, what our expectations are, and um, you know understanding what we expect from them when they're out in the field um, as a minute women caregiver. And then on top of that, we have a nurse that will go out and provide supervisory visits, trainings as well. Um, you know, we do have uh, a decent amount of people that need have ostomy or catheter care. And that's something that's training that's given to home health aides when they go through their 75 hour training through the, the home health aid schools. But, you know, just like anything, if you haven't ridden a bike in a while, sometimes you're a little rusty at it. And so it's always good to give them a refresher course on some of the um, specific tasks that are going to be doing on a specific job. So whenever a caregiver goes out to a new case, we like to give them orientation. Either I'll go out, office manager will go out, or a nurse will go out and go over the care plan with them. So they have a um, a, a chance to succeed. I mean, one of the things in this industry that's, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later, but is facing as caregiver shortages. Um, you know, finding clients is important, but keeping good caregivers is, is, is important as well. And we need to give the caregivers a chance to be successful on a case. And kind of like what we were talking about where we, you know, have them interview um, beforehand, if you just throw a caregiver into a case and say, ah, well, figure it out, you know, fingers crossed, let's hope this works out. Well, you know, not only is that going to frustrate the client, but it's also going to frustrate the caregiver because you didn't give them the tools to even uh, become successful and be able to do a good job. I like that idea of making sure they have a chance to be successful. Um, before we end the podcast, I'll have Ryan give his contact information and mention his company again. But um, um, Ryan did mention that the Home Care Alliance of Massachusetts does accredit private home care companies. Um, we have standards that include background checks for workers, making sure that they're providing um, workers' compensation, providing Social Security, uh, withholding those types of issues, have training standards that at least – um, meet a minimum set of standards. And anyone who would like to see um, those accreditation standards or see which agencies in Massachusetts have accreditation can go to our website, which is thinkhomecare.org. 
and you can click on find a provider and you'll see which ones are accredited or you can click on accreditation standards and it will show the set of standards that we ask providers to voluntarily comply with. Not all private home care providers in mass do that. Ryan, you mentioned that um, that one of the challenges in the private home care space is not going to be finding uh, clients who are in need of services, but finding workers to provide those services, particularly in a state like Massachusetts, where we have a very low unemployment rate um, and we are competing with all sorts of retail outlets and others for those workers. Have you thought a little bit about how the private home care industry in general is going to be able to meet the needs of the silver tsunami and find the workers that we need uh, to take care of all of us as we're aging? Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly a very complicated question um, that that is probably well over my pay grade. But um, since everybody's got an opinion, right, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think at the end of the day, it's going to be about um, you know, raising wages. Uh, you know, these caregivers are are good people. They do love providing care to people. They love the 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 satisfaction that it gives them. They love connecting with people and making a difference in this world. But at the end of the day, they're doing this to put food on their table and to care for their own families and provide for their own families. And you know, right now, Boston is having an outstanding. Um, um, influx of businesses coming in. We see all the sneaker companies that have come in. Um, we possibly might have Amazon mm-hmm. um, coming in here. And at the end of the day, is it more rewarding to provide care for people? I think it is. But if Amazon is willing to pay you the same amount of money, if not more, and benefits on top of that to put things in boxes or to drive a forklift or whatever whatever jobs that are, are more um, entry level or, or or manual labor jobs that are out there and you can make 30 or 40 or 50% more then you know, it's not hard to figure out what's going to happen. Um, additionally, you know, caregiving is a tough job. It's not easy. You're, you're cleaning up after people, after using the restroom, you're washing people, you're moving people around and it can take its a toll physically and mentally on you. And sometimes you can be in situations where you're not appreciated, where either the, the the client doesn't like the situation or the family has infighting and it makes it stressful. Um, you can be up out all hours of the night on third shift. So, you know, it's not, I mean, I'm sure you'd agree, it's not walking, you know, smelling the roses and walking in the garden all the time. It can be difficult. Um, and so, you know, you need to pay people um, appropriately for that. And that brings up a whole nother issue, which is, you know, recently the uh, the Massachusetts um, passed a law that over the next five years that the um, the minimum wage will be raised, which, which is fine. Um, but the, also, the other side of that is, do, are we going to have clients that are going to be able to afford um, the, the cost increases of having um, these caregivers' uh, wages go up? So it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next five years with Boston's um, ever-growing economy, um, with more competition of needing good workers, and also the wages are going to be going up, and that's going to be putting um, uh, pressure on all industries to uh, uh, keep their good employees, pay them pay them well? And how do you attract new employees through, um, you know, benefits and wages and working conditions and all those various things. But I mean, at this point in time, you know, every agency, every hospital, nursing home, and everybody that has any type of healthcare is always looking for good home health aides, CNAs, 
LPNs and RNs. They're always, that job is always open and they're always looking for somebody good. So I don't see that um, desire and that, that need for good employees changing anytime soon. It's interesting, you know, to me is I think, you know, also looking to um, different um, people in the workforce, we give um, awards at the Home Care Alliance. And last year, our two home health aides of the year were both um, older women who had returned to the workforce after being caregivers um, and found that once their parent um, had passed, that they found that they had they missed that work and came into home care um, in their 40s or even a little bit older because they found that they had a real affinity for taking care of someone. It's interesting to think about folks who are caregivers uh, potentially being our home health aides or our nursing assistants um, going forward. I also agree with you. We want to keep the wages up. We don't want the service to get priced out of the the middle class. And it's a very, very delicate balance for us. Um, I also think of the workforce issues that sometimes folks say we don't necessarily have a recruitment problem. Um, we have a retention problem. Once we get these workers in there, um, being able to be sure that the work environment that we establish for them um, is nurturing, that we understand that the job, as you said, is difficult. And we or you as the employer of these workers do what we can um, to show that their work is appreciated, valued um, by the company, by the families. And I think, you know, once we get someone in the door, keeping them in the company is critically important. I, I totally agree with that. And it's, it's, it's simple little things that make a big difference. Like for example, this was a different industry, but um, in, in, in the past few years I closed it down, but I did house cleaning for a while and I would send out, you know, Christmas cards to the house cleaners and we would get calls back thanking us for their, their Christmas cards. And then, you know, it would be a little heartbreaking, but it was like, that was the only Christmas card I got this year. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, these, these caregivers, we send out thank you cards and we send out, you know, you know, not even big money, but $5, $10 to Dunkin' Donuts when they go above and beyond for us. And it's just showing that recognition that, hey, listen, I really appreciate what you're doing. That, that helps them, that makes them feel better. Everybody loves being appreciated and recognized. And on top of that, it makes them want to work harder for you the next time around because everybody's happy to go the, the extra distance when they feel like they're doing it for a good cause, for a good boss, for a good company. Um, and, and they're appreciated in doing that. When, when you start treating caregivers or any employees as if they're uh, uh, commodities that can be easily, you know, uh, hired and fired and you can find somebody new off the street any day of the week, that's when you're not going to get people to go the, the, the distance for you. And, you know, we've seen huge companies be made and uh, uh, created and then broken because they didn't treat their employees correctly. And, um, you know, bad things can happen from that. So I, it's, it's an important thing to remember that, you know, these caregivers are the lifeblood of my business and, and any business that has that per diem factor in it. And you need to treat it as such, because if you don't have them on board, you're not going to be in business for very long. We talked about this a little bit, but I'll end with this one question. Um, what is the one thing that you would suggest? And it, what is the, uh, the top of your list of a family caregiver who decides to go look for some health and support? What's the one thing that they should look for in a company that they may be looking to employ for a parent or a grandparent? 
you know, I would, I would ask what happens when things uh, go wrong? What happens when somebody calls out late at night on a Saturday night? What's that protocol? Because it's eventually going to happen where somebody can't make it. And you want to know that that company is going to be there when, uh, when, you know, it's crunch time that somebody needs to be at your home. You know, the days of, of having home healthcare workers for, uh, a, a grandma because they they're lonely and they want to play checkers in my opinions over we're going into homes because of safety reasons uh-huh. where somebody is unsafe if they're not with a caregiver so if somebody doesn't show up what happens and what's the protocol to make sure that that case uh, that yeah, those shift safety gets issues, covered particularly with the you know uh, tsunami of dementia care that we're seeing in private home care my guest has been Ryan McGenniff of Minute Women Home Care in Lexington, Mass. Ryan, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you, what your service area is, and I know you have your own podcast. Why don't you mention that as well? Sure. Um, so my name is Ryan McGenniff. I own Minute Women Home Care. We're located in Lexington. Uh, our service area is maybe 15, 20 miles around Lexington. We're independent, family-owned, so, uh, so um, we can pretty much go anywhere. Um, I also have my own podcast, uh, which is called The Caregiver's Toolbox. It's not a promotional podcast by any means. Um, like we kind of talked about, it's it's uh, for education where so many people had called us up unaware of what uh, we can do and what we can't do and the different um, different pros and cons of every type of service in senior care that we decided to make a podcast to help educate people. So if you look us up on, on Google or iTunes or whatever it is, and uh, it's The Caregiver's Toolbox, and you can check us out sometime. Thank you. And Ryan's company is also listed on our website, thinkhomecare.org, where you can uh, find the contact information for um, Minute Woman Home Care. Thank you so much for listening to Talking Home Care. I hope that uh, if you like our podcast, you'll give us a favorable review on Apple, and we'll see you next month. Talking Home Care is a production of the Home Care Alliance of Massachusetts. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information about our association, visit us at www.thinkhomecare.org. Thank you.